Also, could I thank Arts Council England for sponsoring us and Jim and Mo Denning for sponsoring this particular event. We couldn't do it without them. Um, today's speakers are Marion Devoot and Jean Bosbeyer. Marion is an esteemed translator of poetry and academic writer. She has translated many works from Dutch and Flemish into English and holds and has held positions at the universities of Texas, Trondheim, Constance, and East Anglia. She is currently a visiting fellow at the University of Essex. Um, her translation, Song of Stars, won the 2018 Penn Award and was described as a magisterial translation. That's quite the accolade. Um, Jean Bosbeyer is a highly regarded translator of poetry and academic writer also. She is Emeritus Professor at the University of East Anglia, where she founded the MA in Literary Translation, which she ran until 2015. Jean's work um, spans both modern and historical poetry, and her academic work focuses on issues of translation, and more recently on Holocaust poetry. Her work on the, holistry, on the, on the Holocaust has been described as innovative, compelling, and has changed binary views and historical, um, historical reductionism. Jean and Marion are both co-authors of the upcoming book, poetry, um, upcoming book, Poetry of the Holocaust, an anthology, which is coming out in August. Could everyone please welcome Jean and Marion? Thank you, thank you very much. We are going to read three sections of, of poems. The first one is, uh, contains poems from before the start of the Second World War. Um, they are poems of premonition, of fear, leading up uh, to the actual war. The second section is during the war where people are in concentration camps, in ghettos, um, and having the experience, and there are poems from the perspective of being in the period of the Holocaust. And the third section is afterwards. And that section is, is still ongoing. Poem, uh, poets who look back, uh, who have a trauma, poem, poets who feel guilty, and who want to see what it is, or. Um, how to feel from the perspective of being a victim. Yeah, um, we, I'm going to have to stand still, aren't I? Because it makes some noise. <laughs> um, well, if you, if you find at some point that you can't hear me or can't hear Marion, yeah. just stick your hand up or something and we'll, we'll try and uh, shout up a bit. We have got microphones. but um, Yeah, I mean, the, uh, the poems that we're going to read this evening are on the whole, translated either by me or by Marion or translated by both of us together. Uh, but that's not true of the anthology of a whole, uh, um, as a whole. We, we have a lot of different translators um, that we called upon for the anthology and also a lot of advisors and co-translators and so on. So in order that we don't sort of make the translators invisible, if, it's, if we don't say the name of the translator, it means it's translated by one or other of us because we're not going to keep repeating that. But where somebody else has helped with the translation or co-translated or where it's translated by another person entirely, we'll say who the translator is. So that, I think, should be clear enough. Um, well, we, we don't want to waste time with too much prelim preliminary, and we will try to give you a little bit of context for each poem, just so you know what it is that we're talking about. So we'll start with section one, and as Marion said, and these sections actually match sections in the book. And as Marion said, um, the first poems are poems of premonition. 
And the first one I'm going to read, this is now where you see whether we can actually see. Um, the first one uh, is by Wilhelm Felix Swoboda, uh, who is a critic and uh, reasonably well known in the, in the 1930s um, in Germany. And he's expressing in this poem a fear of what was about to happen or might be about to happen. So it's dated 1939. And the poem is entitled Storm. Huts stilled in fear, giant pools, deer, kneeling farms plead at the icon's feet, flame tries to die, clock dares not strike, hellish riders race through the accursed day. The second uh, poem is by Rosa Auslinder. We are going to keep swapping, but I just happen to be reading the first two. The second poem is by Rosa Auslinder, and I'll We'll first read you the English here, and then I'll read you the German, just so you hear the original language of, of one or two. We'll do that with very few of the poems, because it will take too much time otherwise. There's a poem by Rosa Ausländer. Um, she was born into a Jewish family in Chernovitz, which was, which was in different places. It was um, in Austria-Hungary at the time she was born, but it, at the moment, now, currently, it's part of Ukraine. And again, this is a poem where she expresses fear about what might be about to happen. So it's, it's before the war. Um, snow. Snow falls, the world turns white. In the sun, that white glitters in every color. White stars blossom in the air. On the horizon, beyond the mountains, look, snow white and the seven dwarves. At night, the white is black, black as the dark queen beyond the mountains. And I shall read that to you in German now. Schnee, Schneefeld, die Welt wird weiß. In der Sonne glitzert das Weiß in allen Farben. Weiße Sterne blühen in der Luft. Am Horizont hinter den Bergen sie Schneewittchen und die sieben Zwerge. Nachts ist das Weiß schwarz, wie die finstere Königin hinter den Bergen. I'm now reading a poem by Ed Hornig, uh, which is translated from the Dutch. Um, it is written, it was written shortly after Kristallnacht in November 1938. And it compares the situation in Berlin to what might happen soon in Amsterdam. It's called Pogrom, and I'll read the translation first and then the, the final six lines of the Dutch. Pogrom. Is that the moon whose last quarter I can see, or a face veiled in smoke and flame? Where is Berlin and where Grenadier Street? What did the boy do when the mob came? Is that his shadow standing at the river? Is this the water that took him in? This here, the spray, Grenadier Street over there? It is the Amstel, it is Amsterdam. On Rembrandt Square, the sheen of the lamps. Over the roofs, a fountain of light shines. 
I press my nails deeper into my hands. Jodenbray Street is a deep ravine. Between the walls, a brief scream sounds. It's only 10 hours by rail to Berlin. And now a very short poem. <laughs> oh, I beg your pardon. <laughs> if you Go want. on. Yeah, yeah, I will allow you to do that, yeah. Okay, I'll try. This better? Yes. Okay, I was not standing close enough. Okay. Op het Rembrandtplein gaan de lantaarns branden. Over de daken sproeit een lichtfontein. Ik druk mijn nagels dieper in mijn handen. De Jodenbreestraat is een diep ravijn. Een korte schreeuw weerkaatst tussen de wanden. Het is maar tien uur sporen naar Berlijn. So now I'll read a very short poem um, by not very well-known poet. Many of these poets are not very well-known in the anthology, and that's partly the purpose. Um, she's called Selma Mirbaum Eisinger. And um, Selma Mirbaum Eisinger, she was also born in, in Chernovitz, so it's part of the Austria, uh, Austro-Hungarian Empire at the time. Um, she started writing poetry at a very young age, but unfortunately she was taken to a concentration camp at the age of 18, and she died almost immediately. So the poem which imagines what might happen, she didn't know when she wrote the poem, but it actually came, came to pass. Tragedy. This is the worst. You pour yourself out, but no one will know or care. You give your whole, whole self, but have no doubt. You will stream like smoke in the empty air. I'm reading a poem by Margarete Sussmann, which is translated by Jean. Margarete Sussmann uh, is, was from Germany, but uh, went to live with her family in Switzerland. But she writes this poem about the fate of her people, the Jews, and it was written already in 1936. We wonder, we wonder, we wonder, no end in sight. No goal, no pictures or parables call. We of all people on earth, forever the other. From humanity's darkest pain, we greet you as we wander. In death we are the same, and only in life the other. Okay, should we move on to the second yes. section? Yeah. yeah. The poems in this second section, as we mentioned at the beginning, are poems that, are, that were written uh, during the Holocaust. Occasionally, they're poems that are written from the perspective of somebody imagining themselves in the Holocaust, but mostly they're, they're poems by people writing during the Holocaust, or Holocaust survivors sometimes writing um, about what they experienced. And the first one that we want to read um, is by uh, Abraham Sutzkeber, who was Jewish and was imprisoned in the uh, Vilnius ghetto, so that's in Lithuania. And 
Um, he, was, he and his wife were, were kept in the ghetto because Jews were often forced to live in ghettos in many cities by the Nazis. It was not allowed to have children, to give birth to children. So the baby that um, Sutzkeva and his wife had was killed at birth. And this is a poem about that child who was never allowed to live or only for a few hours. I'll just read you, it's written in Yiddish. I'll just read you um, a few lines of the Yiddish uh, to the best of my ability, which is not great, but at least you get a, a sense of the sound of the Yiddish, which is a little bit like German, but also different. So just the first few lines in Yiddish. Zum Kind. Sie von Hunger, sie von Greuser Liebschaft. Nur neidis ist dabei, dein Mama. Ich hab gewollt dich einschlingen, mein Kind. Beim Fühlen, wie dein Guffel killt sich ob in meine Finger. And now the English. Those were just the first few lines. Now the English to the child. Whether out of hunger or just out of love, the only witness was your mother. I wanted to engulf you, my child, to feel how your tiny body grew cold in my fingers, as though I held fast in them a warm glass of tea and felt its transition to cold. For you are not just a stranger, not just a guest. In our world, we cannot give birth to another. We give ourselves birth, like a ring, and these rings all join into chains. Child of mine, you whose spoken name means love, and without words are that yourself. You, the centre of all my dreams, the hidden third one, who from the ends of the earth in the miracle of an invisible storm brought and melded two together so they could give you life and joy. Why have you made this life go dark with the closing of your eyes and left me here, poor as a beggar, out in the cold, with a world, a snowbound world, you have cast off, thrown me back? Never did a cradle give you joy that in every movement carries within it the rhythm of the stars. The sun might as well shatter into pieces like glass, for never have you seen its shining glow. A drop of poison burnt the belief out of you, for you believed it was only sweet, warm milk. I wanted to engulf you, my child, so might I have felt the taste of my hope's future. Perhaps one day you will blossom in my blood, but no, I am not worthy to be your grave, and so I will give you to the snow that is calling, to the snow that marked for me the first holy day, and you will sink like a splinter of sunset into its silent depths, and will carry a greeting from me to the frozen grasses. I'll read a poem by Catherine Roux, and it is translated from the French by Timothy Ades. It was written in the concentration camp Ravensbrück, uh, where Roux was imprisoned in uh, the final years of the war. And she had been a member of the French resistance and so had also been imprisoned before in Fresnes, which uh, is mentioned in the poem as well. My God. My God, I've no clothes on me now. I've no shoes. 
I've no bag, no notecase, no pen. I've no name. I've been labelled 35282. I've no hair. I've no hanky. I've no photos of mother and my nephews now. I've not got the anthology from which every day in my cell in Fren I learned a poem. I've got nothing now. My skull, my body, my hands are naked. Bosch, search, strip, rob, shave, degrade my person. Arm my hands with shovels and pickaxes. Make me into a woodcutter, a ditch digger, a tipper of excrement, a snow sweeper, a convict laboring in the bog. Sculpt my face, my wrinkles, my body, so I look like thousands on thousands of woman prisoners. Give my eyes that frightening fixed glare that I often see with horror in the eyes of my companions. Deafen my ears with your shouting. Wield your bludgeon. Kick with your booted feet. Murderous. Pile our starved bodies by day and night into your crematoria. Show our eyes in the inhuman spectacle of women dying like animals there in a corner. Without ever stopping, beat, wound, hang, shoot. Bosch, since childhood, my country, which is France, has clothed me with wool of its sheep, flax of its fields, silk of its insects. To my ear it has granted the sea's music and the wind's breath, soft or stormy. It has brought me into its mountain peaks to the purity of eternal snows. I've seemed to rediscover the faraway soul that I had when the world began. It has made me into a girl walking in the wind, my hair and spirit free. It has etched my brain, raised it up to the great voice of the masters. It has civilized my heart, rid me of brute violence, educated my instincts, tuned my sensibility, molded my courage, peopled my head with music, with poems, with words from books I love. It has given me a mother and ringed me with sweet smiles of children. My country, which is France, has spread above me the gentleness, the tenderness, the calm of its sky. In my heart, hated criminal bush, wild beast still slobbering our blood, it has put a love so deep that in this place, imprisoned, unarmed, mother naked, I feel rich as a queen, and I hold up my head with pride. Now a poem um, by Monica Sifrim, who is a child of Holocaust survivors. survivors. Um, and she's writing in Buenos Aires in 19... 58. So this is not a poem actually written during the Holocaust, but it's, it's uh, written from that perspective. 
and it's written from the perspective of letters which are written from the concentration camp Bergen-Belsen to the relatives at home. So that's the, that's the sort of situation that's being described in the poem. And it's translated by Cecilia Rossi. Letters from Bergen-Belsen. The post carried to Buenos Aires, letters from Bergen-Belsen, and postcards of Bavarian meadows in bloom. We're fine, read the relative's shaky handwriting, sketchy as a dead man's. And my mother, a little girl, smiled, imagining warm cake shops that glazed the snow smelling of chocolate. Due to limited space, we have moved to this place where we find ourselves in good health, said the relatives, on the threshold of the crematorium. And my mother gasped, imagining rivers of beer, blonde aunties draped in ermine, skating cousins perfuming, perfuming the snow with their songs, sledges and Tyrolean dresses. We look forward to hearing from you soon, gasped the postcards, delivered to the tenement by a postman as he struck up a little waltz. The next poem is by Sally Pinkhoff. Uh, he wrote it in Dutch in Bergen-Belsen in 1944. Uh, Sally Pinkhoff did not survive. He, um, he died soon after this was written. Um, it has a sort of a sarcastic tone about the state of his own body. My skinny legs. My skinny legs. Your flesh is gone. My battered shins. You look like a messy but rather substantial and permanent palette, a large work of art in mauve, red and mud. For the blows and the thuds. And here, what a hoot, these loose-fitting tendons and bones in my foot. And clusters of veins sagging to baggy and sickly blue stains. White hide, slack and pleated, no content, depleted. To be seated was never so tough on the thighs. A push in the side, I can stand with a sigh. But pavement and stones, I cannot step over. I'm all skin and bones. And now a poem translated from the Polish. Uh, it's translated by me and Marian, together with the late Gunter Spies, uh, who was a Polish speaker, because Marian and I don't speak Polish, so we obviously need somebody who does to help. And this is a poem by Irena Bobowska. Um, she was, she was a, confined to a wheelchair from a very young age, but nevertheless, she worked in the resistance to the Nazis, and she was captured by them. And they, of course, they ill-treated everybody, but they had particular disdain for anybody who was in a wheelchair. So they took away her wheelchair, which, which meant she had to crawl. And then she was executed in Berlin by the Nazis. The poem is, So I Learn Life's Greatest Art. So I learn life's greatest art, always and everywhere to laugh and to suffer pain without despair and not to mourn for what is gone 
and not to fear what still must come. I have got to know the taste of hunger and sleepless nights once long ago, and I know the jab of cold when you want to roll up in a ball, and I know what it means to shed tears of weakness, sometimes in the light of day, sometimes in the dark of night, and I have learned in my thoughts to hurry time that loves to drag remorselessly. And I know how hard I must fight with myself, not to lose heart, not to lose spirit on this journey that seems without end. And still, I learn life's greatest art, always and everywhere to laugh and to suffer pain without despair, not to mourn for what is gone and not to fear what still must come. Someone's fingers stroke across the keys and the violin's strings are touched by a hand. Some distant tune comes near. I want to remember, but the sounds blur. At night, I dream of our old piano. Black and shiny, it stands by the wall and waits for me. When the grey days are past, I will go back to it, when I am free again. But for now, I just dream and compose my rhymes, sometimes, though rarely, shedding tears, and tell myself fairy tales and laugh when I dream. I construct a shining, light-filled future at its basis, kindness. And then my cell ceases to be dark. The sun shines gold through the bars. And in the bright sun's rays, in the glow of true hallucination, the soul bathes as in a stream, and my heart beats more lightly. Through the stars, the moon, through the rays of the sun, through everything that glows, I send my greetings home, and my heart, full of longing, through the trees, the bushes, through the breath of the wind, through everything that blooms and grows, I send my greetings home, and my dreams of spring, through the fresh green, through the blue of the sky, over the sparkling play of the rainbow's colours, I send my greetings home, in the sounds of a song of lament. I will read a short poem now by Iboya Wandal Holm, and uh, it was written in Danish, although Iboya was from Czechos, or is, she's still alive, from Czechoslovakia. Uh, she has seen the translation and uh, agrees with it. It is an impression of uh, what life for her was like in Auschwitz when she arrived and didn't know what she was seeing, but also knew what was happening. Uh, I'll say just one word uh, at the beginning. The bread ovens were not bread, <coughs> were not ovens for bread. Fieldwork in Auschwitz. Bread ovens, bird droppings, rattling roads, dust specks, seed burst, towers among sunflowers, guard, Day after day, our mute petrifaction. Now, a poem by somebody who was imprisoned uh, for his political beliefs. This happened, of course, quite a lot, and we saw it in the case of the Polish poem that we read a minute ago. But this poet was not actually imprisoned for his political beliefs. Uh, it was kind of a mistake. He, he, did, he was 
very much against the Nazis, but he wasn't, he didn't act very much against the Nazis. He was a, he was a school teacher, he avoided confrontation to some extent, but he was friends with people who were involved in resistance, and he was helpful, and he stored a photocopier for these people, and he was caught by the Nazis and uh, taken to the prison, Plötzensee, in Berlin, and he was beheaded in 1943. And he, this poem is written shortly before he's about to be beheaded, so he's imagining what's going to happen, and he's, he writes the poem with his hands bound, so before he's taken off. Strange lightness of life, so close to death. I don't know if I said his name, actually. It's Alfred Schmitzas. Strange lightness of life, so close to death. Nearly nine paces long is my final whitewashed world. Perhaps nine days left, then off, my head, that now still thinks and speaks and sees and hears. So near me now the big sleep waits with its dark wing, casting into shade the luminous blaze of hopes or fears to lighten the longest, the blackest, the bitterest moments of human despair. Strange lightness of life so close to death. The final poem of this section is by uh, Andras Mezai and it was written in Hungarian and is translated by Thomas Orzak Land. Uh, Mazai himself uh, was a Holocaust survivor. Um, he, this is a short poem, but there's a lot to think about because it shows how people change uh, when an ideology takes over. But people may still be neighbors, and that's what this is about. Gustav, Feinstein, a Jew from Memel, recognized his neighbor in the execution squad. And he cried out to him, Gustav, aim straight between the eyes. Okay, so now some poems from the final section uh, of the book. So these are poems written after the Holocaust and that reflect on it. Uh, Marion, actually you're going to start I, off I'll here, do the you? first yes, one. Yes, change the order. Um, okay, so you do the first one. Just looking at my stick up here. Yes, the, the first one is by Ida Gerhardt. Um, it's translated from the Dutch. Ida Gerhardt uh, was a poet but also a teacher and she um, earned a living by teaching and signed at the beginning of the war a so-called Aryan Declaration, which meant she signed a piece of paper that said she wasn't Jewish. She uh, felt the guilt for the rest of her life uh, as she had many Jewish friends and uh, this is one of the poems that reflects that. It, I should also say um, a square in, in the city of Utrecht in the ne Netherlands is mentioned. It's called Jans Kerkhof. And on there is a statue of Anne Frank, uh, which was placed there in 1960. It's called The Rejected Gift. 
It was winter and the city wrapped in dusk. I meant to walk across Janskerkhof, really just to lay some flowers I had intended for Anne Frank. I had already taken the paper off, but stepped back. The statue on the square in this twilight was alive and stared at me, and her silent lips wanted to speak to me, while, unmoving, I just kept standing there. Nothing disturbed this untemporal encounter until I heard her wordless accusation. She, a Jewish child, hurt by all the centuries before. You were with them, even now that she is no more. Let me just move a bit while I'm not while nobody's reading, because I have to keep so okay. still, because it makes such a noise. Um, 100, oh, sorry, um, the, <laughs> that was the page number. Um, the next poem is by Paul Celan, a poet that some people um, came across this afternoon. Um, and, um, well, he was, Paul Celan was, uh, is write, he's writing here a poem which is about his mother, basically. His mother was killed in the Holocaust. Um, it was a source of great trauma to him, as it would be to anybody, but particularly because he survived and his parents were taken off to a concentration camp while he was out, and when he got back, they'd gone. He never saw them again. His mother, he was very close to his mother. His mother was, uh, was killed with, a, with a, a shot to the neck, which was a way of killing people who were too old to do much work. Um, and this was reported to Paul Celan later, and he suffered under the trauma of this for the rest of his life. And the poem, uh, which I'm going to read here, is, is not a particularly well-known poem of Celan's. Um, it takes the form of a uh, Romanian folk rhyme, so it's, it's in little couplets, the first one of which refers to something in nature, and the second line always refers to his mother in some way, so that's a a, a typical lament, uh, a, a particular type of Romanian lament, and there's lots of Jewish imagery in it as well. Aspen tree, your leaves glance white into darkness. Aspen tree, your leaves glance white into darkness. My mother's hair did not turn white. Dandelion, so green is the Ukraine. My golden-haired mother did not come home. Rain cloud, do you edge towards the well? My quiet mother weeps for us all. Round star, you loop the golden loop. My mother's heart was torn by lead. Oaken door, who pulled you off your hinges? My gentle mother cannot come back. I'm going to read a poem by Gunvor Hofmo. Uh, from the Norwegian. Um, Hofmo wrote poems after the war because she had lost uh, Ruth Meyer, who had come to Norway as a refugee from Germany in the late 1930s. But almost all of the almost thousand Jews that were living in Norway got deported back 
also with the help of Norwegians. And um, this is a poem that is a sort of a, a dreamed encounter with uh, Ruth, whom she also had fallen in love with. The final two lines of the poem are in German. Encounter. On such a rainy night, you know it's her, your Jewish friend they murdered, whose body they let burn, together with a thousand others. The smell rises acrid as the tide is falling. The birds are whining quietly. Someone's laughing in the distant twilight. The voices sound so mild as if they are holding night inside. You just know that she's here and see her without seeing and recognize the brown-eyed look resting coldly like snow over your despairing sorrow. And you urge to scream, rage, weep and pray just like a little child tries to get its way. Everything you were hiding in pain melts away underneath. You hear that quiet voice just like you used to hear it, questioning without complaining, subdued and strangely sad. Warum sollen wir nicht leiden, wenn so viel Leid ist? I'm also going to read the next poem, um, which is by André Sarc, and this is translated from the French by Jean and me. I uh, will start in a minute uh, with a few lines of French. It is a very long poem, but it is the only poem uh, that is about the fate of homosexual men in the Holocaust. Uh, I will not read it all, but a few sections, and I'll start with the French and then the title, and then one of the epigraphs, uh, which is a quotation from a poem by Paul Salon. I have to leave forward a bit for the French. So after I've read this, it will, for those of you who know French, uh, maybe become clear when I read the translation why this is an important bit, I think, of the poem. Ne nous prie plus, car nous avons que faire de ta prière, car ton amour nous indiffère. Oui, nous sommes là, bloc de banni de la mémoire des justes. Neige étrangère sous la neige des Juifs, neige noire. Noire neige, noircie des cendres, de la honte, neige salie de la grenaille de l'offense. The poem is called To the Twice Murdered Men, The Rag. And it uh, addressed its four Jo and Pierre Sale, and Pierre Sale was the first uh, homosexual man to speak out 
in the 1980s only about what had happened to him and his lover, Jules, in the concentration camp, Schirmeck. For all homosexual men murdered by the Nazis, both inside and outside of the camps. Pray, Lord, pray to us. We are near. This is from Paul Salam Tenebre. Stop praying to us, because your prayer is all we've got to deal with, because your love leaves us cold. Yes, we are here, mass of outcasts from the memory of the just, alien snow beneath the snow of the Jews, black snow, black snow blackened by the ashes of shame, snow stained with the shot of offense. We are here, not taking up any space, not being worth anything in any space, beneath the venerable snow of the Jews, the gypsies, and the fragile-minded, the snow that fell praying or not, the snow fused with fine crystals of charcoal flesh, the slow and infinitely heavy snow, the slow and eternally heavy snow, the slow snow shot dead in the black German sod. And now I'll, there's a final part of the poem which I'll read as well. Lovers of men, lovers of men, stand up. And perhaps God will pray to us. God, happy with the order ruling in families, perhaps his trinity is inclined towards us. Three times denied, we deny him. We deny his prayer. We deny and denounce it interred in Shirmek. Here, Schirmeck, Alsace, here, eponymous abattoir, here, forever a child of 18, howling, his head in a zinc bucket, howling, naked in the middle of a square of slaves. A mad dog has torn off his genitals. Others tear at him from all sides. The child howling and his lover among the slaves pleading, pleading destroyed for him to die and taking him away in death, far away from the jeers of the torturers. Here, Shirmek, forever. Here, forever, Jo. Now, I've just got another couple before we have a little bit of time for questions, if people have got them. <clears throat> this poem is by um, a fairly modern poet. Um, he, he died in 2008, but obviously a contemporary writer, um, Werner Dursen. And it's, the, poem is about, the poem is entitled Grafenek, and it's a poem um, about people with disabilities who were also targeted by the Nazis. So 
as we have seen, there were Jews who were targeted, the people targeted for their political beliefs and religious beliefs, um, for their sexuality, um, and also for being um, seen to have disabilities. And they were brought, in this case, people were brought to Grafenegg Castle in Germany, and they were murdered there wholesale, right at the, in the, in the earlier years of the war. Not, not right at the beginning of the war, but early on, before the, the, the mass murder of the Jews began. Um, there's a mention in this poem of unworthiness. This relates to, I'll just say this very quickly, so you, you understand it. Um, there was a book entitled Life Unworthy of Life, which appeared in 1920. It was written by two doctors, and it was arguing that um, people who had disabilities were unworthy of life. And if a baby was going to be born with a disability or was likely to be born with a disability, that baby should be killed. And if it had been born, it should be killed then. And adults with disabilities should also be killed. So this is what that, uh, there is a reference to this. Grafenek, reaching upwards, limes, horse chestnuts, airy avenue, the sky pristine blue, unhindered view to hilly distances. I see, you see, the spring is mild, no fluttering tape in the wind, no breath. Nothing rises from the meadows. I ask, you ask, who carted the souls up there? Ten thousand times delivered bread to worthless eaters. They don't starve for long. I feel, you feel, the spring is soft, upwards through limes, horse chestnuts, the smoke plume high. Who turned the tap on, stoked the fire, threw them in? Who washed their hands with soap? It did not scream, did not foam. Sleep, lovely sleep. 10,000 times, you see, the spring is blind. I ask, you ask, no one knows. Black fluttering in the wind, the sky greyer than grey. Who shoved the slack to one side, swept the ashes into a pile? Who dug the ditch, sowed the grass? I hear, you hear. The witnesses do not talk. The spring is sly. Closely drawn in, the rose, limes, horse chestnuts, lovely avenue, the sky pristine, clear. No fluttering tape in the wind. No hair, solid green. Nothing rises from the meadows. The birds twitter. The spring is blue. And one final very short poem. Um, this poem is written by Angela Fritzen. Let me just find the poem, otherwise I'll be doing this while I'm talking. Um, Angela Fritz Fritzen is a contemporary writer. She's a poet and journalist with Down syndrome. D people with Down syndrome were, of course, targets of particular targets of Nazi Nazi hatred. And this poem relates to an exhibition which took place in Germany, which traced the history of people with Down syndrome and also had um, a section on their persecution by the Nazis. And as I say, it's a very short poem, The Urns. The urns turned into ash, sand, the urns to have strength. Okay, so we'll finish the, the reading bit there, shall we? So there's a few minutes for questions. Um,
It means I can move as well. <laughs> I'm trying to keep really still so as not to make lots of creaking noises. It's okay, you did well. Um, yeah, do people, would people like to ask um, questions either about the poetry, the translation, or how we put the anthology together? We're happy to answer if so. You had a question? There's a, comment, uh, there's a microphone coming, if you... Uh... Sorry, who was the questioner? Yeah. Sorry, yeah. And we should stay behind our things, shouldn't we? Otherwise, we're not picked up on the microphone oh, when we answer. Oh, OK, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I'm just amazed that the poetry survived the concentration camps. So I just wonder, what were they written on? And how did they survive? There are several stories, or many stories. Uh, they were written on anything people could find. Uh, maybe some pieces of brown paper from things that were delivered to the camp and flew away, some pieces of rubbish, um, pieces of news, well, not newspaper, but it's, it's unimaginable, even on leaves, um, but people had maybe smuggled some sort of paper into, although that, that was difficult, uh, into a camp, Basically, that it, it, it was a whole factory, so to speak. So, and there was an organization of the camp. So sometimes I can imagine that uh, things that were that you could write on or a, a bit of card, or um, and people who wanted to write really, you know, looked out for that. They, uh, things were hidden. There is a story of um, Rivke Basman Benheim, who uh, wrote in, in Yiddish, and, and she's also, she's a survivor, she's still alive, um, wrote on the tiniest strips of paper that she could find and rolled them up under her tongue and ha carried them out of the camp when they were liberated. Um, Others, like uh, with uh, Sully Pinkoff, would hide their uh, poems and other people would know about, or some other person would know about it, so it was carried out by someone else. There is the story of uh, Ratnoti, the Hungarian yes. poet, mm -hmm. but that was not in a concentration camp, but mm -hmm. he, he had poems, he died during a death march. Um, he had them on, on his body and he was already buried and when his body was exhumed, then, then people found a little pack of poems. So there's the most miraculous ways in which poetry survived. And some people, some were memorized as well, right? Yes, yeah. I mean, the other thing to remember, I think, is that when we talk about Holocaust poetry, people think of poetry written in the camps, but the vast majority of it was not written in camps. So it was written mm. by survivors later because they memorised uh, what they wanted to say yeah. and they, they then later wrote it down. Um, some was written in camps. Some was written as though from the perspective of having been in a camp and it was perhaps a story passed down to the, the next generation. Um, Many, as, as, you, as you know, we uh, illustrated here, sort of very briefly, were written in prison as well, and, and also in ghettos. So a lot of the Jews were ghettoized in, in Eastern European cities and, and forced to live in a very small area, huge numbers of people in a very small area. 
And they actually did, they did probably more that, in a way than the concentration camp poems. They actually wrote poems and they buried them mm. and they smuggled them out so that there would be a record uh, in poetry. But we, we should probably see if there are any other questions because, of course, it's an interesting yep. one, that, isn't it? There's a question here. Yeah. Um, the more you went on reading poems, the more I felt that it was very contemporary. Um, I thought they had a, an echo for this country now, in that all of the kind of hatreds seem to be building in the national conversation. Mm. And I didn't, I, you somehow transported me way, way from 1939-45, mm. right up to 2017, 2018. The statistics of attacks of aggressive nationalisms are going up everywhere. Mm -hmm. It's plaguing all of the political parties. And the toxic cloud of the national conversation it fits so many of the emotions that you were talking about and describing. Do you feel that yourselves, or do you think that I've just come down and ruined Ledbury. <laughs> no, I mean, that's, it, 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 the, yeah. in a way, this is the whole point of poetry, isn't it? Because otherwise, if we wanted to limit what we said to the event that happened and mm. only to that event, we wouldn't write a poem. We would write a documentary account. But people wrote poetry because they were poets. But to be a poet is to speak to everybody and to speak to people in future generations. That's what poetry is. So... Because it's poetry, I would say, wouldn't you, Marion? Because it's poetry, it, it, we, we can relate it to events that are happening now, and it's absolutely true. And that, of course, there is a lot of hatred um, for groups who are different from what we think we are ourselves, or we think they are different from how we think we are ourselves. And sometimes we've, we've purposely chosen poems in order to illustrate... Um, not necessarily a, a modern concern, but just a, a universal concern. So we particularly wanted a poem by somebody with Down's syndrome mm. because this is an argument which is had in society today. There are people who think that you are not worthy of life if you have Down's. So it's worth, you know, whatever one's views on this, it's worth but, just thinking that this was thought by the Nazis and that people have written against this. It, it, Oh, it's relatable, but poetry is of the soul, whereas hatred is soulless. That's a very so good point. So the people point. in the back can hear. Oh. Um, well, um, I didn't say much, but I'm just saying it is relatable, but poetry is of the soul, whereas hatred mm -hmm. is soulless. Mm -hmm. I think yeah. when you're in the poetic you're, and you're bringing things to life, I think you are duty-bound to contextualise and historicise. Um, but I, I take your point at the back there, um, but for reasons that I'm really not sure that I can go into at the moment, but um, because then I would just be contradicting myself, so... That's fine. But that's what I, I, I also wanted to say a little thing uh, that, that relates... It, it's also the, the reason why we didn't divide the anthology into categories. So we didn't group people like these were the poems by Jews, these were poems 
about people uh, with, with disabilities, uh, things like that, or these uh, poems were from Lithuania and those were from Germany or from Italy. Um, that's, that's not the point. So, it's, so we definitely do not want to put people into categories. And uh, maybe that is an implicit message. I don't know if, if I could, should call it a message, but it, it's the setup. Oh, it's it, we, explicit. Yeah, <laughs> it's, we say it okay, we say it in the introduction, but it, <laughs> it's, um, um, it's about people and, and people that have suffered. And there are very recent poems in there as well. So, question here. Hi. Uh, I have a question uh, about the translation. I know no German. I wonder if there are any tense, uh, tense the time in German language. Mm -hmm. I'm aware uh, the last line of the poem, Aspen Tree mm. by Paul Salan. Mm. And your translation is, my mother cannot come back mm. home. Not and I, I remember there's a different translation. It was translated into, my mother did not come home. So there is a, a fundamentally difference. Uh, mm. Well, uh, it, it depends how you, I mean, there are different ways of answering that question. Um, po poetry is of itself ambiguous. So. You know, there are different ways of interpreting every poem. Then if you look at something very specific, like the, the tense, without looking at this in detail and looking at the other poem, I couldn't, I, I, you know, I can't answer as to how, why it was translated that way here and that way by somebody else. Um, of course, all tenses are possible in some way in every language, irrespective of the number of tenses that are common in that language. So you can express irrespective of the number of verb tenses there are, you can express past time, future time, present time, present continuous, and so on. You can express these things in every language in some way or another. So it, this is not so much a question of incompatibility, I think, between languages. It's a question of interpretation. And what, it's also a question of what makes sense as a poem in English. So rather than looking at what makes sense as a direct translation of that particular bit of the German, which of course one would do, you would also want to see how can I make this particular bit of the translation fit in with the rest of the English, which I've ended up with. I don't know whether that answers your question. Does it? No? <clears throat> Go on then. <laughs> uh, I think uh, uh, the translation I men uh, mentioned is by Michael, uh, Michael Hamburg. Ah, uh, yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, it would be, yeah. When we translate into My Mother Cannot Come Back Home, means there's a possibility my mother is still alive. Mm. But when you translate into uh, My Mother Did Not Come Home, yeah. it's so tragic. Yes. Is this a way to try to avoid, repeat others' translation, or it is a... Is no, a I, I, think, I don't think you ever, when you translate, try to avoid repeating somebody else's translation. I think 
what you do is you are a different reader and you mm -hmm. have a slightly different interpretation. And that's good because that's what poetry does. That's how poetry works. So if a poem only has one possible translation, mm. it's not a poem. Sometimes yes and sometimes no. Sometimes yes and sometimes no what? Don't you think? No, well, there is sometimes no... yes and sometimes no what? Sometimes yes. Uh, there the... is only one way that you can express something in another language. No. Sometimes uh, there are many ways. I think one has to be very careful about being dogmatic. Yeah, I do agree, and I probably did sound dogmatic. But I think... Um, I don't think it's the case that there is only one way. I'd be I'm very wary of that. I mean, there's a likely way, and there are lots of unlikely ways, and there are lots of ways which would be simply wrong. There are various wrong ways, but there isn't, all, there isn't just one right way. I suppose that's how I'd put it. Hmm. There's another, another person who wants here, to... Yeah. Somebody different. So can, we, can we just... Yeah, um, is I that just, okay? I just wanted to say, and again, in reference to the question, you talked about the, the noxious uh, discourse in our country at this time. But I want to say that what we've heard is both devastating and inspiring. And you've read from people who managed to bear witness and, and with difference again to our own lives, we've been fortunate in, the, the, in many ways in the, the generation we, we live in and the society we, we inhabit. But we need to bear witness also. There are atrocities and injustices and, and inequalities in the world, in our own society and in the world going on. So whether we are poets or whether we march or whether we sit on steps, we need to bear with us. Um, um, I, liked, I really liked the way you said uh, no hair, solid green. Is that no hair, solid green in one of your lines? But yes, I think really so. That was in the Grafenek poem. Because I often think of this as so inhumane, I ask myself the simple question, were they aliens? And when you said mm. no hair, If I could interject, if you want, we could have a talk after this at some point, actually, and have a, if you we'll want have an e-detailed discussion, that would be exactly what we need. Yes, um, I think we're all a bit pushed for time, so we just need to keep that up. But thank you very much, and please continue this afterwards. No, thank you so much. Um, just like to say thank you very much, everyone. It's, I mean, unspeakably powerful stuff, to say the least. Just to give them a memento of our gratitude, we're going to give them um, one of these beautiful ceramic spoons from the Poetry Festival. I'd just like to um, say thank you very much. Um,